The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Swift, severe, decisive. Key words from President Biden after a weekend of high-stakes diplomacy. The president speaking with both Vladimir Putin and Ukraine's president, reiterating America's commitment to a free and sovereign Ukraine. Diplomatic efforts coming as the U.S. doubles down on calls for a Russian invasion of Ukraine that could take place, quote, any day now. Around the world, investors assessing the risk of Russian action as Wall Street comes off a sharply lower session on Friday. Stock futures and crypto are down. But crude oil, it's on the rise. Some now say the risk of countries hoarding oil could send it well above 100 bucks a barrel. It is all happening on this Monday, February 14th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Monday morning. There is a lot going on today, and we begin with the story the entire world is watching right now. That is the quickly evolving, devolving, and often confusing situation around Ukraine. The Pentagon says that Russian military action could happen, quote, any day now. But Russia continues to deny any plans of an invasion. President Biden speaking with Ukraine's president on the phone, reaffirming the commitment of the United States to Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Biden Biden making clear the U.S. would respond, quote, swiftly and decisively, together with any allies, to further Russian aggression. But Ukraine's president actually inviting Biden to come visit their capital of Kiev in coming days, saying a visit could do a lot to stabilize the situation. The call with Volodymyr Zelensky coming just one day after a more than hour phone call between Biden and Russian President Putin with no diplomatic breakthroughs. With that, National Intelligence Director Jake Sullivan says the United States remains on high alert. We have seen over the course of the past 10 days a dramatic acceleration in the buildup of Russian forces and the disposition of those forces in such a way that they could launch a military action essentially at any time. They could do so this coming week. Uh, But of course, it still awaits the go order. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right. Apologies there for those technical difficulties, but we are back on a very busy Monday, and that's how your market setup looks right now. Dow futures, they are down 317 points. That's just under 1%. Technology futures, though the NASDAQ, down more, down just over 1% as well. This after a sharply lower close for stocks on Friday. We are seeing the S&P shed nearly 2%. The NASDAQ nearly 3% on the day. So we were coming into this morning already with some stock weakness. Now, Asian markets following our lead in the overnight trade. Their markets mostly closing sharply lower as well. Japan down more than 2%. Hong Kong down about 1.4%. Same story with the early trade in Europe. The FTSE, DAX, CAC, all seeing steep losses in the early going as well. You can see a worldwide trend of a flight to safety this morning. And government bonds in that are getting bought as a safe haven trade. And as bonds go up, their yields come down and the 10-year yield coming down a bit to 1.91%. But the market to watch, of course, on all of this is energy, oil and gas, both on the move right now. Oil is up a touch to more than $93 a barrel. Natural gas, however, is getting bid up. It is up more than 5% right now. We get much more on this very important story coming up with Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry. He says rarely has the case to own commodities, whether it's oil, gas, wheat, aluminum, whatever it is, it's rarely been stronger than it is today. So let's dive more into all of this and try to better figure out the end game and welcome in Frank Fannin. He is managing director at Fannin Global Advisors. He's also the former assistant secretary of state for energy resources, traveling extensively to the region. has been highlighting the risk of energy security in that region for years. Frank, it's great to have you on an important voice this morning. How do you see this whole thing playing out? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brian. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to uh, to say how pleased I was to hear President Biden's tough language saying that Nord Stream 2 uh, will be canceled uh, regardless uh, if there are any further incursions into sovereign Ukrainian territory. Of course, uh, Russia's already been there, continues to illegally occupy Crimea and uh, the Donbass region. Uh, but hearing that strong message from the president is important, especially since we've not heard a similar strong messaging coming out of Germany. Uh, perhaps the German chancellor doesn't want to sound provocative, but I think it's it's kind of late for that at this point with 130,000 troops mobilized uh, around the Ukrainian border. Yeah, I put out a sort of a long Twitter thread over the weekend, sort of the very basic sort of synopsis as how I saw this. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the show. But I basically said this comes down to pipelines, energy and money. Is this ultimately all about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? A lot of it is around the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, but I think it's important to distinguish uh, the difference between uh, the money component and the influence component. Oil represents a far bigger uh, point for for Russia's revenues than does uh, gas. Gas is relatively minuscule. However, gas has a disproportionate impact in terms of the influence game, in particular in the context of Europe, with supplies more than 35% and upwards of 40% more to to Germany in particular. Uh, so, So although... Gas has a small impact in terms of the revenue. Uh, it's really, uh, it has an outside asymmetric uh, importance to, to the influence and the power uh, that it wields over, over certain European states. 
uh, you know, they have this concept of the, this dependency of inspecting the psychology of states, uh, particular countries like Germany. Uh, that limits the optionality for other foreign policy measures. It's always in their mindset. Um, and so it's, it's really uh, upsetting to see that they, Germany has not taken the lesson uh, from, for over years uh, to really diversify its, its energy mix in yeah. a substantial way away from Germany. Yeah, it, it, why, why they have done so is, is simply bizarre, but it's probably more of a measure of ultimately German politics and coalition building more than anything else, Frank. Here's the disconnect, however. We are thinking we could be perhaps hours or days away from some significant military action by Russia. Ukrainians president though, is, is inviting President Biden to visit Kiev, effectively saying, we're fine. Come on over and visit. It could go a lot to destabilizing it. And looking at, you know, tweets and everything else from people that are in Ukraine, they don't seem that concerned. What in your mind, Frank, is the real risk and threat level? right now well i think whenever you have troops like amassing on the borders it's it's significant uh i think that the ukrainians would certainly like to see president biden visit uh that makes a lot of sense it would create a, a pretty important message uh to for russia not to continue this provocative action uh but things are things are in a, in a, in a strange place right now um and i think that uh you know the president the administration is trying to be prudent uh, and trying to send the message to the Russians not to move forward uh, with, with the current plans. Uh, we all have to hope that that's the case. Uh, and having a strong U.S.-EU transatlantic relationship uh, to prevent this expansion. You know, the, the, the point here, Brian, is that is this, this behavior is not going to stop at Ukraine's doorstep, uh, Ukraine's doorstep. It's going to expand. You've heard this from other countries in the Baltic region, in particular Poland. Uh, so this has... Uh, this will not just is not going to be contained to just yeah. to just Ukraine. Do you think that Vladimir Putin, as I suggested over the weekend, is trying to make Ukraine look less stable so that he can promote the, quote, more stable Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which does not go through Ukraine or really any other country? In a sense, Putin appears to be trying to solve a problem that he has created himself. Yeah, it's really well put, Brian. Uh, I think you're, you're spot on. The, the Putin, the Kremlin's been uh, moving forward with a, a disinformation campaign over many years. Their, their, their hybrid warfare capabilities in the cyber realm has been well documented. Um, Russia doesn't like to have competition. They don't like to have uh, other options being developed, uh, in particular in the energy game, because it provides them such an outsized level of influence. Uh, so absolutely, Nord Stream 2 is intended to completely divert and cut off uh, Ukrainian gas transit. I mean, in, in the sense of some of these pipelines via uh, through Ukraine, it has a greater importance than just the transit revenues. Uh, it, it's really a, a bridge that Ukraine has ceded, is complete to the West uh, to keep it linked in yeah. and have the European Union, kind of the, the reform efforts that Europe is pushing for, forward. It, it travels all the way down that pipeline. Uh, Putin wants to stop that in its tracks. He wants to put prey on the, 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 the endemic historic corruption and push back against some of these reform efforts that are really manifesting themselves in, in Ukraine and have been for several years now. Frank Fannin, now Fannin Global Advisors. Frank, really appreciate your views and your insight. Thank you very much. Have a very good day. All right, folks, we have got a lot more to do on this very busy Monday. And when we come back, Goldman Sachs' Jeff Curry is here. 
Why he says the case to own commodities right now has rarely ever been stronger. Plus, former National Director of Intelligence John Negroponte on just how much Putin's posturing ultimately does come down to what we just talked about. Fossil fuels, pipelines, and money. And later on, gauging the global stock market risk. J.P. Morgan Chair of Global Research, Joyce Chang, is here. We've got a big lineup for you. Stock futures, they are down. And we are back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Monday morning. Oil prices hitting their highest level since the fall of 2014 right now. It's all, of course, on fears a Russian invasion of Ukraine could trigger U.S. and European sanctions, disrupting exports from one of the world's top oil and gas producers in what is already a tight market. But it's not just oil and gas. You have things like wheat also on the rise. In fact, also on worries of supply disruptions from the Black Sea region. Russia is the world's top exporter of wheat, while Ukraine is the fifth largest of both wheat and corn. Let's talk more now about all of this with Jeff Curry, Global Head of Commodities Research at Goldman Sachs. Jeff, important to have your point of view right now. Thanks for coming on. First, let's talk, obviously, uh, about energy and perhaps this idea that there is some disruption in Russian oil and or gas exports, or maybe countries start to hoard oil or gas on concern that perhaps there will be a supply disruption. What is your view? Well, I think it goes back to the point you emphasize is that these markets are incredibly tight right now. And it doesn't take much of a disruption to create ripple effects across all these markets. You know, we like to say it's the persistency of transitory shocks. So our base case is we don't see any significant disruption in either oil or gas or energy flows. I like to point this out. The only time you've ever seen significant disruptions in the flow of energy between Russia and Western Europe was in 1941 when Germany invaded Russia. It just doesn't happen because it's a mutually assured destruction. That said, that doesn't rule out the potential for a few day disruption or the unintended consequences of an accident. Um, The markets cannot deal with that kind of disruption. And that's the type of dynamic that we think the market's currently pricing in. And it may be, you know, it could be Ukraine, Russia. Um, It could be weather in Brazil on the grains. You know, all these markets are incredibly exposed to any type of disruption. So how much, Jeff, then, if any, perhaps, in the 93 and change oil price here, 94 and a half for Brent crude, how much of that? is just a pure risk premia right now, if any. Maybe it's zero. I mean, there's obviously in Friday, given the rally of a, you know, a few dollars a barrel, we would put it at fundamentally being worth about $2 a barrel. Clearly, there was that you know, impact on prices on Friday. But again, our target 
from a, a fundamental basis, it's $105 a barrel, which is higher from here. Uh, and if you did have a disruption of any significant size and this market needed to rebalance sooner, you know, this market could spike as high as 125. Uh, so a lot of this is really fundamentally driven and it's not isolated to oil. We see it across the entire commodity complex because all these markets are severely depleted in terms of inventory, spare capacity. And this is on top the inability of supply to respond to higher prices. And so this is sort of the difficult Hobson's choice that we may be in, which is if Russia does incur military action, invasion, whatever you want to call it, into Ukraine, and we or the Western world slap sanctions on them, is it possible that that super spikes the price of oil and or natural gas, even in the short term, Jeff, because of those sanctions, thus perhaps hurting the American or Western Europe economies? Yeah, but when you look at the underlying tactical case for commodities right now, um, it's rarely been stronger. Let's just look at the setups. Remember, commodities are spot assets. They do not respond to expectations in you know, fi financial market, equities and bonds. They're, they're basically anticipatory assets. They respond to the talk of rate hikes. Commodities do not. And let's look at the setup right now. You have... Real Fed funds rate, minus 7.5%, lower than what it was in the 1970s. M2 growing 13.5% year over year right now, twice what it was in um, pre-pandemic era. Oil demand in the U.S., 22 million barrels per day, highest ever. And doesn't look like it's coming off seasonally because people are now moving towards an endemic and you're seeing that big pop in, in activity. Look at China. The TSF number, they're stimulating right now. It was the largest on record. They're offsetting weaknesses in the property market. And then finally, look at Europe. Um, Europe is finally distributing the recovery fund. And you're likely to see the most rapid growth in Europe since, um, you know, in the last 13 years, stronger than the U.S. So let's put this all together. The macro mm -hmm. backdrop for commodities hasn't been this strong. Price is already high, and we're talking about the U.S. and Europe, to your point, and now China stimulating and adding more dollars to the global market. And it's not just oil and gas, Jeff. We talked about the price of wheat. But I look at also things like the price of aluminum and platinum and palladium and copper, these industrial metals for the most part. They are at you know 20 or 30-year highs in many cases, and demand is off the charts. These are the real inflationary items that we don't talk about enough. I mean, pretty much everything we want to make has either petroleum, copper, or aluminum in it, period. Yep, period. And that's why those three commodities that you just um, pinpointed are the best hedges against inflationary pressures. And we, again, like to argue this. Even the strategic case for commodities has never been stronger. You know, they're a great hedge against inflation. They've got negative correlation with the equity markets, and they're a hedge against geopolitical risk, not to mention they're the best hedge against rising interest rates for all the reasons we just discussed. And I think, you know, the case right now for commodities, both tactically and strategic, um, couldn't be stronger. So investors in our global audience right now, Jeff, are facing, let's just button this up, two things. Uh, longer term, you've got central bank tightening, not just here, the Fed, but ECB perhaps, We'll see what happens in China. They look like they may be going the other way. But either way, a likely tightening path here in the United States. And, of course, this Russia-Ukraine risk, which that hopefully 
will be transitory, if you know what I'm saying, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Those, yep. so that two-headed hydra, you think that, that metals, those types of investments are good hedges against one or both? From both. But I would argue um, oil is historically the best because it's got that positive Q skewed to the upside, particularly given how low inventories are and the fact that spare capacity is nearly exhausted, which means the upside risk in oil is more skewed to the upside. And that's what gives you the diversification against your equities. One last point I want to emphasize here, you mentioned about Europe, is that these rallies that you're talking about have occurred in the context of a strong dollar. What happens if European interest rates go positive, you get a bid in the euro, euro, the dollar begins to weaken, this becomes a tailwind to commodities. So, you know, again, you you got a lot of tailwinds on the commodity complex right now. Any any scenario, Jeff, you see where oil here and Brent crude, maybe they're a couple bucks ahead of us, doesn't hit 100? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the big thing we're watching and I think the market's watching is an Iranian deal. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, you yep. know, a lot of focus on it in the current context, you know, particularly given uh, what's going on with the inflation numbers in the U.S. We'll see what happens. And I would even say coming weeks, um, you know, but that is the one lever that can be pulled to create some relief for this market. But I want to emphasize it's just temporary relief. It doesn't solve the longer term problem. Um, And a lot of those Iranian barrels are already in the market. I like to emphasize China is taking two times the level of oil today than what it was under the JCPOA. So a lot of that oil is already in the market. That is the irony that it may be Iran to the rescue, if anything. <laughs> Jeff Curry of Goldman Sachs, Jeff, certainly. Yeah, I right. Uh, appreciate your views on this important morning. Thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate Great. that. Thank Oil, you. gas, wheat, all the industrial metals, folks, they are just on their way up. All right. There's a lot more other stories going on. Why don't we get a couple this morning? Stop other headlines. Bertha Coombs is here with those. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Brian. The border crossing between Canada and the U.S. reopening late yesterday after police arrested anti-lockdown protesters in Ottawa. The so-called Freedom Convoy protesters had occupied Canada's capital for two weeks, blocking the Ambassador Bridge between Ontario and Detroit. The crossing normally carries 25 percent of all trade between Canada and the U.S. A verdict has been determined in the doping case of Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva. The 15-year-old skater has been cleared by the Olympics Court of Arbitration, which said a ban would cause her, quote, irreparable harm. Valieva had tested positive for a banned angina drug, but there was a 44-day delay in reporting that positive test, which was taken on Christmas Day. And the L.A. Rams beating the Cincinnati Bengals to win the Super Bowl 56, the final score 23 to 20, with the game ending in a fourth down defensive stop by the Rams. The Rams scored the first two touchdowns of the game, with the Bengals responding with their first touchdown in the second quarter. Rams receiver Cooper Cup was named MVP with eight receptions and two touchdowns. Uh, I was really kind of rooting for the Bengals, I got to say. You know, I, I didn't really have, yeah. without the goat in it, I didn't really have, a, you know, a, a stake in it. But I, I kind of wanted the Bengals to win. You and uh, one Mr. Joseph Kernan, no doubt. <laughs> yes. But they covered yes. at four and a half.
Bertha Coombs, they'll be back. Burrow is a gamer. He's a winner. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. All right, coming up, former director of national intelligence John Negroponte is here on what you need to know more about the Russia-Ukraine crisis. But first, during February, we're celebrating Black History Month, featuring some of our CNBC Financial Advisor Council members. Here's Ivory Johnson with how he believes our nation can empower the black community financially. Our country can empower the African-American community financially by enforcing the basic tenets of capitalism. We like equal access to capital and the ability to enforce the terms of a contract in an equitable judicial system. We don't need a leg up. Life is hard for everybody. We just like a fair fight. All right, welcome and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, everybody. Let's get a check down these markets, and they are deeply in the red, not just here, but around the world as well. First up, U.S. stock futures. Dow futures off 256. That is just under 1% drop. The NASDAQ, though, like the trend we have seen all year, is the bigger decliner this morning. NASDAQ futures are down more than 1% as well, so weakness across the board. And some of those pre-market losses have actually accelerated in just the last 30 to 60 minutes or so. So keep an eye on stock futures. By the way, the European markets, the Asian markets, they are down as well. We are seeing red across the board, really, in Europe. The Asian markets down. Japan falling more than 2%. You can see more than 1% to even 2% drops in Europe. As we see stocks go down, bonds are getting bought. The 10-year yield actually coming down as buyers come in, that yield at 1.92%. But of course, energy is front and center this morning, given Russia, Ukraine, and really, as you heard Jeff Curry just talk about the dollar and rates, they're sort of the macro backdrop as well. WTI traded crude, not much on the move, maybe a tick higher, but natural gas of more than 5% and back over $4 here. But keep in mind, in some spot markets in Europe, it's trading at more than $70. We're paying four bucks. There are people that are paying 70 if you're buying natural gas on the spot traded market in Europe. All right, that is your market setup. Now let's talk more about the Russia-Ukraine situation and maybe exactly why we may have gotten to this dangerous point. And obviously, it is a lot more complicated than we can explain in a television minute. But here's a basic breakdown based on what is going on from people I'm reading, talking to over the weekend. I tweeted this out, but here you go. Russia is desperate for Germany to approve the Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline that goes from Russia to northern Germany. The pipeline is built. It is just not operational. It is waiting for German regulatory approval. But even right now, Europe relies heavily on Russian natural gas. As we talked about earlier in the show, much of that comes through existing pipelines that move through Ukraine. Ukraine makes an estimated $1 billion a year hosting those pipelines. It also makes Ukraine very strategically important to European energy needs. But if the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is approved, it will slash Ukraine's relevance. It would also save Russian companies and Russia a lot of money by having a direct pipeline. So it seems logical that Vladimir Putin's best interest is to make Ukraine look unstable and thus a risk to European natural gas supplies. And by doing that, it makes the Nord Stream 2 look more reliable and stable. Now, Germany is holding up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, but they also desperately need Russian gas, especially during the winter. Their storage right now is at or near record lows. So any risk to Ukraine and its pipeline is a risk 
to Germany and its people. And Putin would no no doubt like to make his $11 billion Nord Stream 2 investment look like the smart and safe option to German regulators. Put very differently, Vladimir Putin may right now be trying to provide an energy solution to an energy problem that he created. Let's now bring in John Negroponte, former Deputy Secretary of State, former Director of National Intelligence, also an ambassador. Ambassador Negroponte, thanks for joining us. Uh, There are a lot of things that are being bandied about, like this is about NATO and Ukraine and Europe protecting democracy. But how much ultimately is this just coming down to fossil fuels and pipelines? Well, I think it does come down to two things. It comes down to what you've just said and also the economic impacts of uh, potentially of an invasion. You, know, you look at the, uh, the the board is red, right, except for energy stocks. And I mean, that tells you uh, people are really very apprehensive about what the likely economic impact is going to be uh, if uh, Russia does invade. But the second part is definitely uh, geopolitical. Vladimir Putin wrote an article back in July on the historical unity of Russia and Ukraine. And he has that interpretation of history and of geopolitics. Uh, He's uh, been totally open about it. And he does not want to see a Ukraine that in one way or another aligns itself with the West. I think that's the bottom line for him politically. And probably uh, from a psychological point of view, more important to him. What's odd, though, Ambassador, is that Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, does not seem that concerned. He went so far as to invite President Biden to visit Kiev, saying it could maybe help, you know, stabilize the situation. There seems to be maybe it's a media disconnect. And if it is, please feel free to say that uh, between what we're hearing from Ukraine and Kiev and Washington, D.C., Well, I mean, I think Washington is playing a role of, uh, say, laying bare all the intelligence that we're getting and uh, telling people what we see and warning uh, uh, not only the Ukraine itself, but uh, Ukraine itself, but also American citizens there and so forth. So I think we're playing that kind of a role and also telling Russia what the consequences would be if it invades. Mr. Zelensky has got to uh, keep a lid on things in his own country keep up morale, uh, maintain a will to resist. I mean, one of the questions uh, obviously is what's going to happen if there is an invasion? How much resistance will uh, will there be from the Ukrainians? How costly will they make this invasion from a military point of view uh, if that invasion takes place uh, uh, on the Russians? Uh, what, what price will they pay or will they just walk in there? My, my view is that if the Russians do move in, and I don't think it's... Uh, by all, any means of certainty, uh, what they're going to want to do yep. is alter the political equation inside of Kiev itself. They want a more Russia-oriented government in Kiev. There was a tweet put out by Sergei Lavrov, perhaps the most listened to Russian diplomat out there over the weekend. And there are some that are reading into this and suggesting that this was kind of a uh, an olive branch to the West. And here's what he said, and you'll forgive me for looking down and reading it. 
this was tweeted out uh, yesterday from the Russian embassy's UK Twitter feed. After Russian troops finish drills and return to barracks, the West will declare, quote, diplomatic victory by having, quote, secured Russian de-escalation. Predictable scenario and cheap domestic political points. That was the tweet, but some are looking at this as saying, okay, that is Lavrov effectively saying, we're going to go away and the West is going to make it look like they scared us off. But the underlying read is that they may be going away without military action. Your take. Well, I've not been one. I was one who uh, earlier was uh, thinking that uh, the longer uh, this goes on, this uncertain situation goes on, the less likely an invasion. Uh, now I'm not so certain, especially since I've talked to people who've seen, I, I don't see the intelligence myself, but I've talked to people who have, and uh, the buildup is pretty uh, credible. There's a very interesting uh, chart in the New York Times today about the way uh, Russian troops are poised around uh, Ukraine's borders. And it looks like to me, it's all going to point towards Kiev. Uh, All right, former former Ambassador John Negroponte. Uh, Ambassador Negroponte, it appears that we lost your feed, but we certainly do thank you very much for your valuable insight this morning. All right, coming up, we still got a lot more to do. J.P. Morgan Chase's global head of research, Joyce Chang, will join us. Her team's take on the escalating crisis around all of this and the next steps that could send crude to nearly 120 bucks a barrel and what you should be doing with your money right now. Stick around. All right, welcome or welcome back. It is uh, 542 here in the East Coast. Look, let's look at your money in the markets on this Monday because stock futures, they are down across the board, really extending Friday's losses. You saw big declines heading into the weekend, and that looks to continue today. NASDAQ futures off about 1%. Dow futures just under that as well, S&P 2. It is not just a U.S. phenomenon. We are seeing markets all across the world either down or closing lower overnight. First off, Europe, every major European market is in the red. The French market, the CAC 40 down 3%. Germany off 2.5%. The UK down 1.5%. Overnight in Asia, the Japanese Nikkei 225, that down over 3% or 2%, I should say. Hong Kong down one and a quarter percent. So you can see there is a lot of red on the screen. There are a lot of nerves out there. Joining us now on the CNBC Newsline, with her perspective as J.P. Morgan Chase, Chair of Global Research, Joyce Tang. Joyce, thank you very much for joining us on this busy, busy morning. Obviously, investors here around the world, they appear nervous. They are net sellers. The VIX is up. The bond market is up. What is your and your team's take on the actual risk level to equity markets right now? Well, all eyes are focused on the Russia-Ukraine situation. We didn't see any breakthrough, and we're seeing more um, pronouncements, including out of the Biden administration, warning of severe and um, immediate costs um, if there is um, any type of military action. And so all eyes are going to remain very much focused on the energy markets. Now, you know, Russia is 17% of the global natural gas market, 12% of the global oil market. And um, the focus will be on 
on whether there is a risk of financial sanctions and some type of export controls. Um, and we do see that uh, you know, Russia is very integrated into the global system. Um, if you look at the exports, 85% of their exports are transacted in FX, 70% of their imports are transacted in FX. So I think, you know, this is what's being reflected in the markets right now. The statements that came out over the weekend, the lack of a breakthrough, you know, sort of the upward pressure that remains on energy prices. So there's a uh, market will remain focused on, you know, Russia, Ukraine. And then you also have, um, you know, just the, the Fed hiking cycle, but not just the Fed, but the ECB, the Bank of England. We all think, you know, the three will be yeah. acting you know, um, in this quarter. Yeah, and the irony, I guess, if you want to call it that, Joyce, of this situation is that it's for as long as energy, oil and gas in particular prices, remain elevated. Let's say we get some kind of a brief super spike if there is some sort of Russian action. That is just going to spike inflation, is it not? Which then may force the Federal Reserve, which, by the way, is having a closed door meeting today, kind of a, outside the norm for the U.S. Federal Reserve, that it may force our Fed and the ECB and others to act even more aggressively, kind of like accelerating this Fed-led spiral. How do you see it playing out? a March rate hike. I don't think that it's going to come, you know, in, in this meeting. But, you know, we've run the numbers on the impact of higher oil prices. So let's just say you did a worst-case scenario of oil going to $150 per barrel. I mean, you're talking about first-half global growth that could go from 4 to less than 1%, and inflation that could go up 4 percentage points. And, you know, at 150 is not in our scenario. We continue to have oil prices at around $90 per barrel. But it's not hard to see a scenario where this could be pushed over $100 to $120 per barrel, even if it is something that is temporary. And that would have a real feed-through to inflation. So I think, you know, the um, you know, the, the, the markets, you know, here, are, I think volatility is here to stay as long as we have the situation unresolved with Russia mm-hmm. and Ukraine. We look at higher interest rates generally as a net negative, and they tend to be for higher valuation stocks. Of course, technology stocks taking the brunt of that, Joyce, which they are the market in many ways. I mean, every ETF is sort of run by the same five or six companies, if you will. But higher rates are not necessarily a negative for everybody. Oil and gas tends to do well. Financials and banks tend to get bids in higher interest rate scenarios. So assuming Russia aside, we continue this rising rate outlook environment. Where is the best place for our viewers' money right now? Well, I think you're going to see Treasury yields continue to move higher. I mean, we have the 10-year Treasury yield at 2.35% at the end of the year. So I don't think that this move is necessarily done. You know, I think the best value um, really is in some of these energy markets. And, you know, we are looking at, you know, many sectors that have corrected right now. Um, One that stands out to us is actually small cap. I mean, you've got certain parts of the market that are pricing in recession. And I think we're far from that in the U.S. And this is like at a you know, 20-year low. So I would yeah. say that, you know, the, some of the cyclicals, the, you know, the energy markets are going to do well. And um, Europe is most exposed to the Russia-Ukraine situation. You could have some of the emerging markets doing better, and you could have China doing better. China is desynchronized um, in this cycle. It is not in the hiking cycle with 70% of central banks hiking rates right now. Um, you know, on that cycle, China is not um, synchronized. And they also have the capacity to put some easing measures into place, mostly 
through credit easing. So, you know, China to us stands out. The energy markets stand out. Small cap looks like it's really, um, you know, cheapened here as well. So we are seeing, you know, pockets of opportunity. But I think this volatility yeah. will be with us for some time. And until maybe perhaps the situation is resolved and China stimulating right now. To your point, Joyce, they are going in their own direction. Joyce Chang of J.P. Morgan Chase. Appreciate your valuable voice this morning, Joyce. Thank you. Have a great day. Be with you. You take care. All right. You're very welcome. All right. As we head to break, we just talked about the financials. Let's take a look at them. It's not helping them right now. We are seeing selling across the board. It's kind of a sell first think later type morning, despite rates being on the way up, they tend to be good for financials because their net interest margin goes up. Bank of America, Goldman, Morgan, Citigroup, JP Morgan, they're all lower as well. Airlines, they are down sharply as well, perhaps on concerns about higher jet fuel costs eating into their margins. United, American Airlines, Delta, all down about one and a half percent. As interest rates rise, you see sellers in finance or big tech because it reduces the dollar of the valuation and their yield. And we are seeing that as well. You've got Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google all lower. So a big sell type morning, not just here, Europe and Asia also down. All right, just a a gentle reminder on a busy day. If you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. If you missed the show for any reason, you're in the car, you're flying like I am in a couple hours, throw on the podcast. Get all the news you need. Dow features off 156. We are back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. With everything else going on around Russia and Ukraine, do not lose sight of the fact that there are companies and there are stocks with exposure to the situation as well, mostly through potential moves in oil and natural gas. RBC Capital Markets has a list of the energy companies most exposed to swings in European energy prices. So here you go. Look at this. This is the sensitivity of CFFO, okay? Cash flow from operations for many of the big oil and gas companies. Now you're seeing that the the dark line is a change in cash flow from every dollar in moving oil, or rather the yellow line, excuse me. And the blue line is every $5 move in natural gas. Yellow oil, blue, nat gas. You can see names on there you recognize. Chevron, Exxon, Shell, they all have some exposure, but it's not a huge amount on the gas side. And this is mostly natural gas story. But RBC notes that the most exposure is with BP and Total Energies of France, in part because BP owns a nearly 20% stake in Russia's Rosneft and Total owns a 19.4% stake in Russia's Novatech. Of course, the easy thesis is that this will lead to higher oil and gas prices, which is good for oil and gas companies, but it is not that simple. There are also risks of sanctions or lower natural gas flows that could negatively impact some of these companies. Bottom line is this, there's a lot going on with that chart. If we see this situation get more risky or volatile, watch shares of all the big oil and gas companies, but BP and Total, TTE is the ticker, in particular. They are more exposed. All right, as we begin a new week, Wall Street, of course, closely watching everything that is going on. We've also got talk of Fed rate hikes. You got a Fed rate meeting today, closed door meeting. And so no surprise, we are seeing a spike in the CBOE volatility index, better known as the VIX. It is up about 13% right now. Joining us is CNBC contributor, Market Rebellion co-founder, 
John Nigerian. John, it's good to have you back on. Markets, stock futures down, Europe down, Asia down, VIX up. Obviously, there's a lot of heightened nerves right now. Exactly, Brian. Uh, just as you say, the VIX through 30, that's something that kind of gives you an indication that people are nervous, um, probably seeking protection. And I guess you don't need to look a lot further than, uh, you know, some of your RBIs recently, and that would be over in the energy space. You and I have talked about oil and natural gas. Oil isn't moving up that fast right now, but natural gas certainly is. Um, maybe a several percentage move in the pre-market. And I, I think that's one of the contributing factors to the nervousness that we see right now in, in markets. Yeah, and it's not just about oil and gas, although that is obviously the overarching theme. I don't know if you heard Jeff Curry of Goldman earlier in the show basically saying, listen, Russia and Ukraine, this adds a lot of volatility, but his upward path is higher anyway for natural gas and oil, even outside of what is going on. He said this adds maybe about two bucks a barrel to the price of oil. Larry Summers, obviously, he has been basically calling on the Federal Reserve to get more aggressive. How much is this kind of the perfect storm right now, John, between the Fed and what is going on overseas? Well, certainly the, uh, uh, the Fed does realize, however, that What's going on overseas is impacting prices and uh, companies' uh, sentiment, if you will. So it's not just consumer sentiment. Um, I was just out in California and uh, kind of shocked to not just see the, pick, the price at the pump, but pay it. And to, to actually dig into your pocket and pay $525, $550 is, is a shocker. Uh, but I think also corporations, when they see what's going on in Ukraine, um, and the massing of both Russian troops and now NATO, you've got to think that uh, corporations decide to uh, perhaps play a little conservative game, defensive, if you will, Brian. And I think that contributes to it as well. Yeah, so what are you seeing in the options market then, at Market Rebellion, John? What are people doing? Are they, are they buying sort of maybe long-dated puts on the S&P? Just throwing in a, a, a bit of a hedge. I'm interviewing Mark Spitznagel of Universal Investments uh, in Phoenix tomorrow. By the way, tune in. Uh, and, you know, he's sort of this long tail guy who does these extreme risk scenarios, uh, w you know, using options and everything else. What are you seeing in the options market right now? Well, uh, we're seeing a fair amount of hedging, um, whether that's hedging in the broader indexes like the IWM. Um, and the uh, uh, S&P 500 in particular, Brian. And when I say hedging, you and I know that means they're buying puts. Um, they're not necessarily hoping the market goes down. They're using those puts, at least my interpretation is, um, defensively. Um, so I would not be surprised if at that, at that conference you'll be at that they're not exactly saying that, that there's a lot of people seeking that kind of protection right now. Um, and... Boy, that's a lot like, you know, when, yeah. the, when the weatherman says there's a hurricane coming and uh, you waited till the last minute to buy insurance. Well, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows, at least right now. No. John Nigerian and Market Rebellion. John, we do appreciate it. And obviously, folks, the Federal Reserve having a meeting today. They do meet fairly regularly on Mondays to talk about the discount rate, but markets are jumpy right now. So looking at the Fed and saying, could we get sort of an emergency rate hike today? Unlikely, but hey. In this market, anything goes. Stock futures, they are down. 
We're going to see. I will be off. I'll be in Phoenix over the next couple of days. We've got a lot more coverage here, though, on CBC all day long. We'll see you tomorrow here on WEX. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.